My name is Lewis Howard. I am the education pastor here at uh, First Baptist Church. Some of you today may be our guests. You're visiting today, and you are so excited to have the opportunity to come to First Baptist Wichita Falls because you've heard so much about our pastor and what a great preacher he is. And so you've been, you've been pumped about that all week long. And then we get ready for the preacher to stand up, and who is it? Who's that guy? He don't look like Bob. I mean, he don't have no hair. And so he can't be Bob. Listen, I'm not Bob. I'm Lewis, and I greatly appreciate the opportunity that Pastor Bob has given me to talk to you today about something that's near and dear to my heart, something that God's called me to many years ago. And, um, you know, some of you guys, you come here every week or you watch this on TV or online and, and you see Pastor Bob standing here and he's preaching, a phenomenal preacher. And you wonder, you know, what's that guy really like? Well, let me tell you, the guy who works with him, all, you know, every week, uh, what you see here is what you'd see during the week. In other words, what I'm saying to you, he's the same guy. And um, so I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity to serve a pastor who, who I see in the pulpit is the same thing out of the pulpit and lives his life that way. I've been here for a little over eight years now. and um, I was thinking about this. If someone was to ask me, tell me, tell me about Pastor Bob. I said, okay, I'll tell you about Pastor Bob. Here's, here's what I think about him having... Um, I worked alongside him. I've been in his office, having dealt with some difficult situations at times and so forth. I believe this, that Pastor Bob is a man after God's own heart. And I tell you, he's proved that to me personally time and time again. I'm so grateful that we have a pastor like that. God has richly blessed our church because of that. Now you say you're saying that because he's sitting here. Well, I, that... I'm still, you know, I was going to say that regardless whether he's sitting here or not. So I said, you know what, whether he's sitting there, I'm still going to say it. And so, because that just, that's just what's on my heart. And I'll tell you something else about Pastor Bob. He is a huge proponent of life groups. He thinks everybody needs to be a part of a life group here at this church. And I totally, absolutely agree with him. So we come back to that question like we just kind of saw in the video there. What is a life group? Well, let me give you a definition that um, I've kind of used over the years. Life group is this. Life group is the church organized to fulfill a lot of, most of, a good bit of its purposes. Now, that's a good definition, except for there's a problem with it. You say, well, okay, if I'm, I need to know what's the purpose of the church if I'm going to figure out this definition, and you're correct. Whenever God starts something new, whenever it's a new position, new ministry, something that God wants to start new, we find it in the scripture and right around those verses, we will find exactly what God wanted that new position or ministry to do, at least for the most part, maybe. Um, so let me give you an example in Acts chapter two. You got your Bible? Let's turn to Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter 2, the setting for Acts chapter 2 is this. It sets up in the city of Jerusalem. Now, some of you in this room, you've been to Jerusalem. You know um, how narrow the streets are there. Not only is it in Jerusalem, it's during a time, what they call Pentecost, which was really a, a harvest festival. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that there are people from all around the world that have come there for this time. 
Now, I also want you to know this, though. This festival takes place every year, and it takes place 50 days after the Passover. You say, okay, well, so what? The Passover is when Jesus Christ was crucified. Oh, kind of puts it in a different light now because now we got all these people that are cramp-packed into Jerusalem, no social distance going on, but yet just 50 days ago, Christ was crucified. Oh, it's still on their mind. It's still on their heart. In fact, I would venture to say that the angst, that the tension in that city was running very high. And Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it tells us that Peter, along with the other disciples that were there with him, that he stood up and he started speaking. Now, I'm not sure how he did that, exactly where. He could have been on a balcony somewhere. Somehow he had to get above where everybody else. And somehow he had to be able to speak. And somehow he had to be able to speak to somewhere where over over 3,000 people had to hear him speak. But when he stood up to speak, he says, hey, now, you need to listen to me. Well, you're in this crowded city, and someone jumps up and says, hey, you need to listen to me. What are you going to do? You're going to turn to see who's talking. When they turned to see who's talking, some of the people there in that city, they knew who he was, and they knew who he used to hang out with. And so he got their attention. And just like Peter, I mean, this guy didn't hold anything back. When um, you look down in, let's see, verse 23 it is, and um, he tells him, he says this, verse 23. He says, you put Jesus to death with the help of lawless men. You guys, you guys nailed him to the cross. You're the ones that killed our Lord. Well, let me tell you what kind of statement that would have caused in that place at that time. You think that if they didn't have his attention, they, they had it now. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop on those cobblestones there in Jerusalem when he made that accusation or that truth towards them. He goes on to speak in verse 32. He says this, God raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to it. See, in 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us this, that there were over 500 people at one time that saw our risen Lord. There were people there in the city of Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. Um, they had seen Christ after he was raised from the dead, or they knew of someone who uh, had seen Christ after he had raised from the dead. And so then... Verse 37, it tells us that the people were, were cut to the heart and actually said, what shall we do? Peter told him. He said, what you need to do is this. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn to Christ. And as a testimony of that, you need to be publicly baptized. Verse 41 says, how many people did that? Oh, around 3,000 people. That was a long baptismal service. I kind of did math on that. You know, if Pastor Bob didn't share the testimonies and all we did was just have the pool and, you know, we were lined up and we were ready to go. Boom, 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 boom. So how long are we sitting in here? 
According to my math, you've been here about 24 hours. Hope you brought your lunch with you, okay? And so these 3,000 people, they come, they get baptized, and um, now what? Get in the chariot, jump on their camel, head home, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Nothing really changed. Not. Oh, no. A lot of things changed. Their life would never, ever, ever be the same. Their life changed. And what we find here is the birth of church. And so if we find the birth of church, what is it that church is supposed to do? Well, verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2 kind of lays that out for us. It tells us that they were meeting in homes. It tells us that the apostles were going from home to home and they were doing Bible study. So there's Bible study that was going on there. It tells us in this passage that they were praying for one another. It says they had fellowship with one another. It says that they were, uh, there were needs and those needs are being met. There's ministry going on. You say, well, where do the needs come from? I'll tell you. Those people who publicly were baptized after praying and receiving Christ as their personal Savior, See, people didn't live in single-family homes like we live in today, predominantly. They lived in the house, and there's all kind of families living in the house. I mean, they're all the same, but a bunch of families still living in there. And, and that day and time and that culture, oh, you change? You're going to be a Christ follower now? You were publicly baptized? You're not welcome back in this house anymore. Are you telling me there were people that were homeless because they, 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 were, they accepted Christ and they were baptized? Exactly. And the next day, you go, to get, you go to your job and everybody's talking about it. And, and, and the guy says, uh, owner of the business, hey, did you guys see what happened yesterday? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you and you guys baptized? A couple of guys raised their hand. They said, well, hey, I don't see him in the office. Sure. Uh, hey, buddy, I'm I'm sorry. We just don't have a place for you anymore. Are you kidding me? Really? Yep. So we got homeless people. We got people without jobs. How are we going to help them? Well, the scripture tells us there in, in Acts chapter 2. It says there were folks that had land. There were folks that had buildings and businesses, and they sold them. They took the proceeds from that, and they said, here, I want you to have this so you can help you get back on your feet again. So there's ministry. There's people needing to be ministered to. There were people who were, being, who were ministering to others. It says they were praising God. It says that these people were grateful, thankful people for what God had done and what God is doing in their life, no matter their circumstances. It tells us that um, they were inviting others to come be a part of their group. And what was probably attraction to come and be a part of that group? I think the greatest attraction was this. It was the changed lives of the people who committed their life to Christ. Hey, Joe, man, you, you, don't, you, you don't talk like you used to talk. Man, you don't, you don't act the way you used to act. What's different about you? Hey, why don't you come be a part of my all right, it's a Bible study we got going on at, Joe, at Sam's house over here. Hmm. And the scripture says 
in that passage that the Lord added to them daily. All right? Now, let's fast forward 2,000 years. Here we go. We come to church. Great worship team. Phenomenal job. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob's up here and he's preaching God's word. And what else do we do on this property? We go to life group. And what do we do in that life group? You know what we do? We open up this book right here. We study God's word. We dive into this book because it is, it's our manual for life. It gives us purpose and it gives us direction. This book right here tells us um, what to look for in a mate. This book right here tells us how to be a mate. This book right here tells us how to parent. My wife and I, when we were married, we had, um, had two boys. I'm telling you, I, I needed help. How do I raise these two boys? What did God tell me to do? Where did I need to go? I needed to go right back to the word of God and say, hey, I need your help. I need your help. I need to get in this book right here. Now, as those boys got to be teenagers, I'm telling you, I needed more help. I need to read more time in God's word right here. How do I handle this guy? Man, he just changed right here in front of my eyes. They do that. And I'll say this to you that one day they left. Today they're married. I got five grandkids. And I want to know how to be the right kind of papa to my, my grandkids. And, you know, when my boys are smaller, I got questions. And for the most part, they were relatively easy. We could, we could handle those questions. Now when I get a phone call, sometimes those questions are a lot more difficult. And guess what? I can't stop being in this book, learning from my Heavenly Father, how to give instruction, looking for direction in God's word. And what do we do in life group? What we do is we dive into God's word together and we study, we unpack what, what God has right here for us. And the scripture says this, I need to take God's word. I need to hide it in my heart that I might not sin against God. Now, the word heart there in mind can be interchanged. And so just to help us understand a little bit, I need to take the word of God. I need to hide it. I need to put it in my mind that I might not sin against God. I need to take the word of God and all those nooks and crannies and those places in there that sin likes to hide out, where sin likes to grow slowly, I need to saturate my mind with the word of God. You know what cleans your mind out? The best cleaner ever for our minds is a daily diet of the word of God. What do we do in life group? We dive into the word of God. We unpack it. We learn to apply it to our life. So what else did they do? Okay, well, they got in the word of God. And uh, the scripture tells us that that first church dove in and they, um, they went to fellowship. Okay, fellowship. What's fellowship? 
Well, some guy said it was like two guys in a ship. No, it's not that, okay? Fellowship is this. This is a common bond that, um, that binds us together as Christians. But it's not just binding us together as Christians. It's binding us together with Christ as well. That fellowship is the, um, it's the part of Bible study that, that brings us together where we can study God's word together with one another. In Acts chapter 242, it says this, that the apostles were teaching, so we got Bible study. And then in that same verse, it talks about fellowship. I want you to understand that it's not Bible study and fellowship down here like we got a comparison going on. No, 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 no. It's, yes, Bible study is hugely important, but guess what? Fellowship, being able to dive into the Word of God with other believers and unpack it and see what God has in our life is extremely important as well. Let me give you an example. Um, when we moved to Texas, it wasn't long after being here that I told my wife I wanted to buy uh, a smoker for smoking meats and so forth. She says, why do you need that? And I said, well, you know, like Paul said, when, you, when you're Rome, you do as the Romans do. You guys got smokers? I thought, hey, let's go buy a smoker, okay? Now, I'm nowhere near as good as you guys. I'm just, uh, I don't think I'm a novice yet at it. I've burnt some stuff. I've dried some stuff out in that smoker. I mean, it's, yeah, I've done all kinds of things to it. Um, and some of y'all have been really gracious to help me out. Hey, you ought to do this. It helps out. Thank you very much. Somebody, or I read somewhere, that said, you need to do this. If you would learn, like with chicken or turkey, if you would, if you would brine that first, it will help in the process because once you do that, it helps that meat to become flavorful. It's so, okay, I'll try. It, briny is just a lot of water and, and salt is the main ingredients. You can put other stuff in there. I like putting sugar because everything's better with sugar. And so I put some sugar in there too. Um, and then I, I'd smoke it. And sure enough, man, you pull that chicken off and you could cut through that breast and man, the, and the juices just pour out of there. It's nice and juicy or that, or that turkey. And I thought, man, this is good stuff. Then I learned to take him what they call dry brine, some beef, and I would just get a little bit of kosher salt and put it on each side, tuck it away for a couple hours, and then put it on the smoker. And man, when it was done, I'm telling you what, it was like it was off the hook. It was that good. It was like getting on a train and going to Flavortown. Yeah, it was wonderful. And you know now what I watch too much of. I do like the show. So how, how, does, how does Bible study excel? How do we excel Bible studies? I'll tell you how we do it. We do it when we add the component of fellowship. When, again, we gather together as believers. We come together in our, our life group. We open up God's word. We study together. We unpack together. We imply together. You know what happens? It's like taking Bible study to the 10th power. It's amazing what that does. And that's really the thing that, that we have missed so much around here. In the last five months when we've not been together as life groups, we have missed that Bible study and fellowship together. Some of you guys figured out ways to do it, though. Some of you have been having um, 
I heard about it. It's called Life Group on the Lawn, I think it is, until it got too hot. <laughs> now it's Life Group in the house. And so y'all are meeting in homes, so some of y'all have been meeting in businesses. There's a group of ladies that um, they come to worship, and then they go out to the parking lot, gather around, circle, and they'd have Life Group. I tell you what, fellowship is, is that. Fellowship is this. It's that component, it's that component of Bible study that, that we so desperately, we really need. And fellowship is also this. I say, well, duh. But fellowship can't, fellowship demands that we're with others. It can't be done by itself. It needs others to do it. Hmm. So they were studying God's word. They were studying it together. Sounds exactly what we do, like we do in life group. Yeah. But yet there's another component too. It says that they were ministering to one another. Scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we do what? We are to weep with those who weep. Now, maybe you had a new baby. Ha, awesome. Maybe you had a new house. Maybe you got a new job. Maybe you had an anniversary. Whatever the case may be, you know what? You need to tell your life group because those guys want to rejoice with you. They want to have a great time with you. They'll probably throw you a party. And if you get a new house, they'll probably help you move in. So you need to let the people in life group know that. We love to rejoice with people who have something great in their life. But as life would have it, um, I'll tell you this too, that rough time comes, rough times come as well. And there's times when we actually have to look up to see bottom. And I want to encourage you with this. When that happens in your life, please don't feel like, don't buy into the lie Oh, I just need to stay away from church. I need to stay away from my life group during this time. No, you don't. This, I'm telling you right now, this is the one place you need to be. And life group is the one place you need to be because those are the people who love you. Those are the people who care. Those are the people who want to come alongside you. Those are the people who want to pray for you. Those are the people who will walk the journey with you. Those are the people that they'll cry with you. You need those folks during a time like that. As we dive into God's word, as we study God's word, we unpack God's word, how do we flesh that out? Well, probably one of the ways we do that is through what we find in Scripture as the one another's. They're peppered all throughout Scripture. It says this, one of them says this, you need to accept one another. He said, well, man, that guy's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, he's probably right. But guess what? He thinks you're weird too. So uh, just learn to accept one another, okay? And uh, then he says, hey, why don't you serve one another? Serve one another? See, there's times when um, we'll stand up here and we'll talk about opportunities to serve or maybe the same thing in life group, opportunities to serve and there's some need somewhere. Um, 
serving one another isn't holding back and going, man, let's see if someone else will volunteer to do that, okay? May old Joe, you know, Joe, man, he volunteers for everything. If I hold back for a few minutes, Joe will volunteer. No, that's not what serving one another is. Serving one another is just stepping up to the plate and saying, okay, here, I'll do it. I'm not sure exactly how to do it. If you'll show me, I'll be glad to do that. And so he says, hey, I want you to accept one another. I want you to serve one another. I want you to be kind to one another. I want you to forgive one another. And I think back on all the junk that God has forgiven me for. I can forgive somebody else. You know, he also says, says, hey, I want you to comfort. I want you to comfort one another. Sometimes people, I know we all walk in church like this. We have a big smile on. Hey, man, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Da, 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 da. Man, we've lied before we hardly got into the building here, hadn't it? There are people that sit in our life group with a big old smile on and inside they're just dying. Inside their teenager. I may have a teenager that just um, didn't come home last night, don't know where they are. Guy fearing that next week or two I'm going to find out whether I lose my job. Tell you, that stuff happens. You know what a life group does? Just come alongside that guy, put your arm around him, say, listen, I just, I just know I'm praying for you. Sometimes it's like that cold glass of water that you get when you're really hot. Thank you, I need that. He says, comfort one another. He says, encourage one another. Just be kind. Just say a kind word. Just build people up. Man, we get pushed in all the time. When you come to life group, it's time to push people up. Let's encourage one another. He says, pray for one another. I tell you what, you give a prayer request in a life group, you're going to get prayed for. You're going to get prayed for by a lot of people. I promise you that. Then he says this. I want you to love one another. And more than any of the other one another's in Scripture, that one is repeated more. Disciples in John chapter 13, it is. Jesus asked his disciples, now how do you think that all these people you're rubbing shoulders with, how do you think these people know that you're my disciple? You got the t-shirt on? Hey. No. They're going to know because of the way you love one another. That's exactly what we need to continue to do today. And I don't mean just some facade. I mean genuinely love one another. When that happens, people in the city go, what's different about you? What's different about that place? I, I want to be there. I, I want to see what's going on. You must be a follower of Christ. Why? Because you love one another. Love speaks volumes. Well, We could go on and on about life group and how it kind of matched what they were doing there about 2,000 years ago. But I'm going to say this to you. Some of you don't come to life group because you're scared. 
I'm not scared. Oh, yeah, you are. Because I heard, I heard your excuses. Say, well, like what? Like if I go to that life group, you know what we're going to make me do? They're going to make me pray. In front of everybody, they're going to make me pray. Let me say this to you. Not. Not going to happen. We're not going to do that to you, okay? Not even the second week or the third week. If you want to pray, ask the leader in the group and, and see if, you know, you can pray. That's fine. But we're not going to call you out to pray. And then somebody said, well, you know, you're going to ask me to, to, to read something out of the Bible that I, I don't get. I mean, like Matthew 1, 1, this guy beget, this guy beget, this guy beget, this guy. I don't even know who these guys are. I don't even know what the word beget means, okay? And, and you, no, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Well, if I get there, I've heard that you guys ask people hard questions about the Bible or even questions about the Bible. No, not going to happen. You know, where did King get his wife? I don't know where King got his wife. We're not going to ask you questions, hard questions. Really, that's true. Some of you in here are going, you know what? I love coming to church here. I'm really afraid of leaving my my preschooler in, in preschool ministry. I know it's got to be good, but I'm just afraid. Let me say this to you. The people that run our preschool ministry are qualified to run our preschool ministry and do a phenomenal job. It is clean. It is sterilized. The toys get cleaned. I mean, we go over and beyond to make sure that place is ready. He said, well, my, I dropped my baby off. They're just going to cry. And da, da, da. Well, You know what? Yeah, sometimes they do. And as soon as mommy or dad are out of sight, almost like out of mind, boom, the crying stops. And hey, let's have fun. Okay. You know? And you know what doing preschool, like doing children's ministry, although at a different level, is we're just simply laying foundational biblical truths in the lives of those children. My wife and I invited a, a couple to come to church with us one Sunday morning, and uh, they came, and they had a preschooler, and a and, uh, little girl went to our preschool after, you know, during church, and then afterwards, man, she was just talking about how much she loved being in preschool. So much so that, you know what happened? Monday morning, the little girl wakes up and says, Mommy, can we go back to church today? I want to go back to preschool. Some of you are afraid to put your children in preschool. Don't be afraid to put your children in preschool. They will love it. Some of you. Um, so I don't know anybody. Yeah, you may not. But there's been a many time I've taken people to life group and they walk in there and they go, oh, I know him. I know her. Yeah, there you go. You know? And there's sometimes you're right. They didn't know anybody. But by the time they left, they knew people. Because life group is not exclusive, it's inclusive. And some of you might say, you know what? There's people around that, that know me and know what I've done. And I, I just don't want to go. There's, I don't want to go somewhere people are just going to judge me. There's not a person in life group that couldn't be judged for something. Life groups, life groups is a welcoming place, not a place where we look down on people. 